Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. We continue our look at the NFC North, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We go to Chicago's own Courtney Cronin. NFL Nation Vikings reporter. You can read her stuff on ESPN.com. Look for the Vikings and click there. And uh, Courtney joins us here on ESPN 1000. As always, I appreciate your time, Courtney. How are you? I'm well. Hopefully getting some warmer weather here so I can actually like go outside and you know try to keep myself sane. It's been nice. How are you and the family throughout all this? Everything good? Yeah, everything's been good so far. I mean, it's it's definitely weird um, being back in my childhood home, which I never would have spent an extended period of time here in the middle of the off season. But uh, trying to look on the bright side of things, silver lining, spending more time with my family, getting um, you know a lot accomplished with all this downtime. So it's been good. Courtney, I want to get your thoughts as we've been looking at the NFC North, especially when the schedule came out last Thursday. I just want to get your overall thoughts on the offseason for the Vikings. What has resonated with you the most? Well, I think the draft is is where my my thoughts go immediately. I mean, they come away with 15 picks. It's the most by any team since the draft went to a seven-round format. Um, they definitely made up for lost time, if you want to call it that, and, and lost opportunities because they only signed two guys uh, in Michael Pierce and then Tajay Sharp in free agency, some not big, not a very big splashy free agency for them. They lost a bunch of players, key players off their defense. So it's definitely an evolution that the roster's going under right now. But I think that they came away from the draft in the eyes of many as as big winners up there with the Colts in Baltimore, um, and you know they did a really good job utilizing all of the trade backs that they that Rick Spielman uh, was able to pull off and, and getting a ton of draft capital for this year so that, so they didn't have to bid on free agents uh, right after the draft ended, but also extending that and turning two of those picks into 2021 picks and trades with both uh, the Ravens and the Bears. So, I mean, I think they did a really good job. Now it's just a matter of can this roster actually win games and be competitive in, in 2000. Is it a is it an eight and eight team? Is it a nine and seven team? Are they ten and six? I mean, it feels like they should at least get back to the wild card round, but um, with as much turnover as they've had, that might be difficult. So, all in all, I think it was a pretty good off season, but they definitely made up ground uh, about two weeks ago in the draft. Yeah, I, I would say so too. I've been saying a lot that I believe the Vikings had the best draft, definitely in the North, but one of the best drafts in the NFL because, and JD and I always, we've been disagreeing about this for a decade about um, need versus um, uh, versus best available. And I just say like this, like if you, if you need milk, why would you get the Gatorade? You can't, you're not going to, you're not putting Gatorade in the yeah. cereal. So what, if you need a wide receiver, you get Justin Jefferson. And I thought and that's a terrific pick. I just thought that everywhere the, the Vikings needed something, they were able to fill it. Now, how productive those players will be across the board. I don't know, but I just think that's the, my sign of saying you had a good draft because you addressed the needs. You got the milk you needed. Yeah. I'm with you there. I think that, especially where they were drafting at 22 and then they had the 25th pick, but they traded back to 31. I think the value for what they got was tremendous. I mean, nobody expected Justin Jefferson to be available there at 22. I mean, his stock, I think more than any other receiver that last month of the draft was rising 
skyrocketing uh, that he could have been one of, I mean, he was one of the five receivers taken off the board in the first round. And um, I mean, there was, there was no doubt in my mind that they were going to go receiver once we saw Philly take Jalen Rieger from TCU um, and they had their chance at 22. They didn't have to trade up. They didn't have to move around at all. They got the player that they wanted and, and he fills a big hole with Stefan Diggs now in Buffalo. So that's a great pick. And then, you know, moving back from 25 to 31, you you were going to pick a corner there anyways. It was either going to be a corner or an offensive tackle, and I think that they really read the board right because they didn't need to, you know, overdraft and, and take Ezra Cleveland with the 31st overall pick. Like, they got lucky. I mean, I don't know if they could, if they necessarily could predict that or say that, oh, yeah, we knew that there would be no offensive tackles taken until we get Cleveland in the second round. But, you know, to get a cornerback like Jeff Gladney, at 31 and in the process getting the equivalent of a late third round pick in the trade to San Francisco, that's not just, you know, filling a need for your team. That's also, you know, getting some really good draft capital. So you could try to have more bites at the apple later on. I mean, that's, that's Rick Spielman's philosophy and not everybody agrees with that. I mean, you can see the teams that have five and six person draft classes. That's not the Viking strategy. Um, But, you know, they, they had a lot of needs, whether it was, defensive end and trying to figure out what you're going to do now that Everson Griffin's gone um, and with wide receiver, cornerback, offensive tackle, you're not just, you know, a lot of those positions you're drafting for now, but also in the future. I mean, Ezra Cleveland, the tackle that they took out of Boise State, probably their franchise left tackle if all goes according to plan. Uh, so you can move on from Riley Reese and his expensive contract next season. So I think they did a good job. And in a lot of cases, best player available was also their biggest need at the time that they were drafting. Courtney Cronin covers the Vikings for ESPN.com and NFL Nation. She joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Let's take a look at the Vikings schedule. There's some, this is very interesting um, before the buy, Courtney, because, and for those of you driving, we will tell you what the schedule is. So it's Minnesota will be at home against the Green Bay Packers to start it off, and then at Indianapolis against Tennessee, at Houston, at Seattle. Uh, against Atlanta at home into the bye. Um, I wrote down uh, four wins uh, before the bye. How do you see the ebb and flow of that? That's very interesting. So there's some gut checks there early. Yeah, I think that, you know, the the travel that they have, um, you know, going to Indianapolis, going to Houston, um, those are, you know, good statement-type wins. If they can take care of business early on the season, I mean, especially the fact that you have Green Bay, to start out in week one, you can already have an edge up in the division race and have the Packers be chasing you the rest of the season until you guys meet again at Lambeau Field later beyond the bye. I think that's a great position for them to be in. I mean, on paper, the schedule looks really, really difficult. And if you take a look at, like, strength of schedule uh, for their road schedule, it's tough. I mean, you have, like you mentioned, I mean, Seattle in, you know, before the bye, and then you've got New Orleans on Christmas Day, and you have to go to Chicago again, uh, where, you know, they just don't win in places like that. They've got two primetime games at night in two places where they just don't win, which is Seattle and Chicago. So I don't think any of that was ideal. But, um, you know, when you, when you take a look at kind of like where the draft, excuse me, where the, where the schedule is right now and just kind of what the reaction should be, I think by and large they have a really good chance to win the division this year. And I know we say that just about every year when we're looking at it, but a week seven bye, um, I'm looking at my schedule right now. I actually had them at 
just like you did, four and two, uh, yeah. going into week seven, which I think is pretty re- reasonable. I mean, and I just to correct that, that Seattle game is week five. That's before the bye. Um, but, you know, it, it's tough. They've got a couple of hard back-to-backs, Houston and then Seattle, um, and then, you know, a couple others like, you know, New Orleans and Detroit to fin- at New Orleans and at Detroit to finish the season. Uh, but realistically, I think that they are probably a 10 and six team at best nine and seven at worst, because you have a lot of new pieces there, but schedule in a way did them some favors. Cause it's not, it looks difficult on paper, but just given the strength of how a lot of these teams have changed, I think they should be in, a, in an okay spot. What, what was your initial reaction to see? And again, with the world that we're living in right now, who knows how accurate these dates will be? I I have no idea. When I saw the schedule, I wasn't even looking at dates as much as it is just who's playing whom, because I don't know if I can even trust that the opener for, say, the Vikings is September 13th. Who knows? Yeah. But but I, I'm interested in finding out that Christmas Day game. Like, like yeah. Was there was... a conversation between Goodell and Silver? Was Silver mad at Goodell for, for putting I – mean, the NBA ultimately starts on christmas day that's an odd odd choice yeah no i mean that's um i i just don't think they care i think that they're doing their own thing and christmas falls on a friday this year i think it'd be different if it was a tuesday or a wednesday or even a thursday um and they see an opportunity there for a very good rivalry in the nfc i mean that that rivalry for people who don't know i mean that's been budding since 2009 since the nfc championship game and over the last four years four seasons since 17 this is going to be their fifth time playing each other we all know about the minneapolis miracle mm-hmm. um we all know what happened in the playoffs this year i mean there's a lot of history between those two teams so to kind of switch things up when you're typically used to week 16 that being a boring division game either in detroit or chicago um to have a marquee game like that on christmas day i don't think you could have picked a better matchup uh, but it is a little weird because that's the end. I mean, Christmas Day is owned by the NBA and it has been forever. Um, I mean, there's been the, the Monday night football games on uh, Christmas Day, but that just it, it has a weird feel to it because it's on a Friday, too. Uh, and the NFL never schedules games for a Friday. But, you know, if they're playing at that point, if the season goes according to plan, um, it's definitely going to be one to watch because that's the place. I mean, they've. You know, they've had some really big thrillers down there in the dome, and the fact that they had that walk-off win uh, with Kirk Cousins effectively securing his second contract in that game alone uh, in the playoffs, I mean, to go back there to kind of the scene of the crime, I mean, that place has been good to them, but they also know the heartache uh, given the 2009 NFC Championship game uh, of what that place can bring. So I think it's a great matchup. Look, as as someone that enjoys a good NBA game, no Celtics Nets matchup will, can beat the Saints and the Vikings. It's just yeah. it's too compelling. I mean, as much as as you get those primetime quality games that they put up there for uh, for Christmas, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what I don't know what NBA matchup could beat the Vikings and and Saints because of the storyline. I just thought that when I saw that December 25th day, I said, "Wow!" I thought that Silver and Goodell had more of a, a relationship, a handshake agreement, yeah. an understanding. I guess not. <laughs> so. No, I mean, I definitely uh, think that there's a chance now for the NBA to. I mean, we don't know when they're coming back. I mean, they've been talking about a lot of things and in. You know they're they're probably not thrilled that the NFL be, is going to trump their audience either way. But there is only one game on Christmas Day, which is mm-hmm. the Vikings and the Saints, and it's that three three thirty time slot. So if you want to start out, uh, you know, if 
their games at noon. I'm sure that they're able to get a good matchup in there. Um, but it's uh, it's it's definitely, I mean, who knows? At that point, we could have a bunch of sports that are still on TV, and it might actually be like one of the more exciting times in the sports calendar in 2020, if indeed everybody is able to return back. But it's going to be weird if that game is indeed played down there at the Superdome without fans, because that is one of the most raucous environments. Uh, I love going to cover games down there, and it's just going to have a different feel, though, if it's an empty stadium uh, with a game being played. Courtney, how would you classify the um, the relationship between Zimmer and Spielman, the uh, coach and GM with the Vikings? You know, I think that it's had um, you know it's had it's been effective by and large throughout the last few years. I mean, he's been uh, Spielman's been the GM since 2012. Zimmer signed on in 2014, and, and for the most part, they've been synced up uh, in terms of their contracts, and, and they currently are both uh, headed into their final year uh, under contract, so a lame duck year. I would anticipate that both will get extensions. I mean, certainly Spielman after what he did in the draft, um, but in, you know, it's going to depend on what ownership wants to do based on the current economic climate, based on you know if, if and when we have a season. I mean, we have one scheduled, but you know, I do think that they, they have really worked in lockstep uh, most of the way, at least publicly, outwardly facing. That's how it's appeared. Um, and this year, especially with so many needs on the defensive side of the ball, where Mike Zimmer uh, is experiencing a lot of turnover after losing pretty much all of his secondary. Um, they had to franchise Anthony Harris, the safety. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts that um, Spielman was able to address and help out with in the draft. So I think that they were certainly on the same page about that. Um, I think what it's going to come down to as far as job security, extensions, uh, how much longer both of them are here, is going to be the quarterback situation. They had to extend Kirk Cousins because they needed the cap space to do it. And, you know, it doesn't hurt that you have a little bit more stability at the position, but ultimately that's what Spielman's going to be judged on. Uh, and Zimmer, too, probably to a certain degree, depending upon what happens in the next few, you know, this season and beyond that, because they hedged, you know, a lot of their bets on the fact that he was going to be the franchise guy. And yeah, he got you, he won you a playoff game, but what more can he do? Uh, I think that that's going to be ultimately the deciding factor on what their legacy, both of them collectively is here in Minnesota. Courtney, uh, how close do you think the Bears personnel is to the Vikings? You know what's happening here. It's uh, the tug of war, who's going to be the quarterback, Trubisky or Foles, and who's going to have the lion's share of the time. The Bears are plugging holes and throwing money in holes that they um, that they had to plug, uh, especially on the defensive side. They didn't do that uh, from a financial standpoint on the offensive line. They were able to get a couple of draft picks, but it's not the same because now there's a, a weird learning curve for low draft picks that the Bears had. So when you look at what the Bears did, how close are they to the Packers and Vikings? Well, I mean, what do they have, nine tight ends on the roster now? <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> that was a little weird, like, you know, to go and get – a tight end in the draft when it wasn't even that good of a draft for tight ends. Um, I don't know. I like the Jalen Johnson pick, the cornerback that they got out of Utah. I was texting with uh, someone in the Bears front office about that, but I didn't really have much else to say about the rest of their draft. I mean, it just didn't make a whole ton of sense. And everybody knew what they were doing last December uh, when they started clearing cap space and, and getting a bunch of extensions done for their defensive players. They were they needed to get another quarterback in here. And in my opinion, Mitchell Trubisky is no longer the starting quarterback. They can appear to have that. They probably will. 
uh, at least, you know, outwardly speaking, they're saying that there's going to be a competition in camp and, you know, Trubisky has the upper hand. I think that's all BS because you don't pay Nick Foles all that you did uh, via the trade from Jacksonville to, to get him here and, and not have him be your starting quarterback. Um, I think a lot of teams, you know, especially in the NFC, you know, look at the Chicago Bears and say thank you because they didn't really have to do a whole ton to get a leg up in the division. And I think it's more than just the Bears. It's the Packers. And, I mean, the Lions had an okay draft, but both Green Bay and Chicago, a lot of really questionable decisions that they made that only helped the Vikings as they get ready for the 2020 season. So I'm sure they're pretty thrilled about whatever the draft strategy was in Chicago and the fact that they got a 2021 pick out of uh, Chicago for for that trade uh, on day three. Lastly, Courtney, I appreciate your time. Have you been watching The Last Dance? I have been. It's been really unique because I was so young when all of that was unfolding that I, I knew the story. I knew that, you know, Phil Jackson had, had come up with this catchphrase, if you want to call it that, or just what the theme for the season being The Last Dance uh, and how impactful uh, the whole story was. But I didn't know a lot of the intricate details um, and, and I think that it's it's been really unique getting to be in Chicago, getting to be with my family, kind of reliving this whole thing. Um, is the 90s are kind of making a really big impact on all of us because of this one series during coronavirus. Yeah, I thought I think it's been really compelling. I can't wait for Sunday for the uh, the end of the uh, Last Dance. Just some of that stock uh, old school footage. The story being told, it goes back, it goes to the last uh, championship, and it goes back to the 80s, it goes back to the early 90s, Krauss and Reinsdorf. It's a, I'm so glad that me, personally, I grew up without social media with all this. It was just reading columns, just to see, you know, uh, Michael Jordan opening up the newspaper, reading the Charlotte Observer, and all that stuff. It was, it's just interesting time, and then you compare it to now, it's just totally different. Oh, absolutely. I mean... <laughs> It's it's so intriguing to me to see, like, you know, the amount of media uh, that they had up at the Birdo Center and, you yeah. know, places that, um, you know, I grew up around and living here on the North Shore. I mean, we all know where Michael Jordan's house was because we could all drive by the gate with a giant 23 on it. And, um, you know, it's it's so unique to me that it's kind of like a, a you know, we went back in time because the story wasn't told for so long. They had, you know, 20 some years to figure it out. And all this footage was sitting in a vault where Michael Jordan was the only one who could, you know, say yay or nay to it. So I think it's awesome that they were able to, you know, get this thing expedited. I think the original run date was supposed to be in June uh, to give us something to look forward to. And, And I was talking with my brother about this. It really, I think this whole series has kind of brought back, um, the notion of, you know, waiting around for something to watch. I don't know the right phrase for it, but we're not, you know, we're so used to on-demand television now where this is bringing back like the, the event of television where there's a certain time that everybody's tuning in on a Sunday night to watch a two, you know, two episodes back to back. That's kind of cool. I mean, that's a vintage thing. Nobody does that anymore. Everybody watches Netflix or Hulu uh, or watches, you know, Xfinity on demand, which, you know, has its purpose, but, you know, it, it kind of feels very 90s-esque that we're watching it in this way. And I, and I certainly appreciate that. Courtney, I'm glad you spent some time uh, as we reviewed the NFC North. Thanks for coming on the show, as always. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. Is uh, Courtney Cronin, NFL Nation Vikings reporter with me, Jonathan Hood, as you're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. 
This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Good to talk to Chicago's own Courtney Cronin about the Vikings in the NFC North. Tomorrow we will review the Detroit Lions. So we did the Packers. If you missed that, go back to the archives of the Under the Hood podcast because we're going to take a look at the schedules. You know, they came out this past Thursday, and interesting, the ebb and flow of that Vikings schedule. It's going to be tough right into their bye. We'll see about the Lions, and we'll review them tomorrow uh, on Under the Hood. Um, this story coming from Adrian Wojnarowski, who covers the NBA for ESPN.com. We're keeping our eyes on this because, as we talked earlier about baseball, right? Baseball, trying to figure out the revenue split 50-50. If, my thought is, on the baseball end, if you're a player and you're not comfortable with playing because of COVID-19, you should not play. It just comes off you know, very odd that if any of the players are saying, I should give my full check while everyone's taking a haircut. There are so many people that are not working right now. You may know one. It might be you looking in the mirror where it's hard right now to be able to get um, employment because of COVID-19 or people are taking uh, pay cuts. I'll say this. Uh, when it comes to the players, if they're thinking they're going to get the same checks they get on the 1st and 15th for Major League Baseball, that's just not happening in this reduced season they're trying to have this could be an 80 game season this could be a 75 game season who knows but if i'm a player if i don't feel comfortable i wouldn't play but if i do want to play it's going to be at a reduced rate so you're making 20 million dollars a year well this year because of no butts in seats because we as fans can't go to the games because of COVID 19 and who knows where those games are going to be played um that player is probably making seven, eight million, and that's not too shabby either, is it? Uh, and from the owner's standpoint, they—I didn't realize Major League Baseball until really researching this—that yes, they have their TV money, but boy, they really are trying to f- figure out how they can be able to um, to get fifty-fifty with the players with this. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have a baseball season, but from the NBA standpoint, it seems like they're getting closer to it. As I mentioned, Adrian Wojnarowski wrote this. He says, attendees left Board of Governors call with Adam Silver, the commissioner, today, feeling positive about momentum toward an NBA return to play this season. Discussion included how league and players will need to get comfortable with some positive tests for a virus not shutting down a, a resumption. Uh, in discussion with the owners and the Board of Governors, Silver used the term, quote-unquote, campus environment when referencing what's been called a bubble. Call included significant detail on how other pro leagues and sports here and abroad are working toward their returns. That that whole Petri dish thing I talked about earlier where everyone's going to be in one spot. I don't know how this is going to work, but the NBA seems like they're getting closer to getting back on the floor. We'll see how that works. All right, we ask you to go to Basketball Reference or go to Google, whatever. Look for the 1988 NBA draft, which we call the Will Purdue draft. So knowing what we know now, how would we redraft the 1988 draft? What would the Bulls do in 88? This relates to the the Last Dance documentary as well. Sean Davis and I will take a look at the 88 draft. What would the Bulls do? And how would we look at the top 11 picks in that draft? We discuss it on Under the Hood next. 
This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Right here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So it's Tuesday, so you know what that means. It, well, in an hour from now, we will give you Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. We'll review Money in the Bank and what's going on with AEW and the WWE. So if you're a wrestling fan or know of one, make sure they check in uh, coming up in an hour from now for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, a staple every Tuesday night right here on UTH. Well, also, if it's Tuesday, that means that it is Redraft Tuesday here on, t- on uh, UTH as Sean Davis and I take a look at previous drafts uh, over the years, and we have landed on 1988, uh, better known to Bulls fans as the Will Purdue draft, okay? And so we've done this in previous shows where we take a look at the draft from 88, and knowing what we know now about the players, how will we redraft the players? Now, in this draft, this is Danny Manning, this is uh, Mitch Richmond, this is Rex Chapman is in his draft, Harvey Grant in this draft, Dan Marley, Sidney in Jerome. Ooh, the little nylon. Jerome Lane is in this draft. Uh, Andrew Lang, Vinny Del Negro's in this draft. Finnis Dembo's in this draft. Um, Ronnie Cycli, Hersey Hawkins from Bradley's in this draft. So uh, Sean and I will go back and forth, and we have a referee. And our referee will be Andre Snellings, an ESPN senior writer who takes care of NBA analytics for ESPN.com. He'll give us his insight on what we do here with this redraft. All right, so... A lot of this is behind the scenes or under the hood. The Bulls had the 11th pick in this draft, and they took Will Purdue. So uh, it went Manning, Smiths, uh, Charles Smith, Chris Morris, Mitch Richmond, Hersey Hawkins went six, Tim Perry, Rex, Rex Chapman, Ronnie Sykley, Willie Anderson. Will Purdue was 11th. So, uh, Sean, I will give you the first pick of the 1988 redraft here on Under the Hood. Who would be your first pick, knowing what you know now? With the first pick of the 1998 redraft... The Los Angeles Clippers select Mitch Richmond. Now, that year, you could have swore, based on what you saw from Danny Manning in Kansas, you were like, oh, yeah. absolutely. Right? <laughs> He's going to be that dude. You're right, exactly. He's going to take the NBA by storm. Absolutely. I would agree with you. Mitch Richmond. And look, that, that was an iconic uh, trio. You think about Mitch Richmond with um, Chris Mullen right, and Tim Hardaway. I love those West Coast Golden State Warriors teams. They were good. Listen, like they're not like the Golden State Warriors that we know now, but they were just as fun because it was a, when you saw that those plotting tough Eastern Conference teams. It was good to just turn on like uh, TBS back in the day and they'd show a Golden State Warriors game or something like wow or yep. NBC like wow look how fast those guys are going <laughs> because we didn't see that in the East so often, right? Yeah. Uh, all right, so. so Mitch is- Definitely, he's like the only Hall of Famer in this draft. Six-time All-Star. 
I think he was a clear head and shoulders choice above everybody else. Not what we thought in 88, though. No. I would agree with you. i go Mitch Richmond. My second pick to Indiana, I would take Rod Strickland. Wow, you got Rod going second. Yeah. You know, Rod was, t- to me, was a, a special player um, and I think underrated, too. And I'm looking for him. He was t- taking 19th out of DePaul. But Rod Strickland gave the gave the world 17 years. I mean, not great years, but but solid years, right? Average 13 points a game, gave uh, got almost eight rebounds a game. I thought Rod was special. I take him number two uh, on my list to Indiana. Could you imagine? Now imagine him in '88 on that Indiana team. Oh man, he was one of the best finishers for a point guard in the paint that you'll ever see in NBA history. Without right, so a doubt. Now we go to Philly. What is your pick for number three for Philly? The Philadelphia 76ers select Danny Manning. I'm going to go Danny Manning right here. Danny Manning had a solid NBA career. I think before the injuries, he was putting up close to 19 points a game. But he just couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't stay healthy. But I still think the talent was good enough to take him there at number two. Okay. So Mitch Richmond and then two, you take? Danny Manning. Danny Manning. Mm-hmm. Okay, three, I uh, I took Danny Manning right there as well for okay. my third pick. So I went. So we're I'm, so we agree with that number three. Um, what about number four? No, Danny Manning. I took second. Oh, sorry. My third pick is Rick Smith. Rick Smith. Rick Smith goes third for me. Fifteen points a game for a career. Solid guy. Foot problems. You know, ailed him throughout his career, but he was a very solid center. Throughout okay. his career. So, Sean, I went uh, Mitch Richmond, Ross Strickland, Danny Manning. And my fourth pick is Rick Smith. See, I have him going to New- the New Jersey Nets at four. The Duncan Dutchman gave the, gave us 12 good years, 15 points a game, um, you know, as, as a good rebounder as well. You know, it's amazing. I think the 2020 version of Rick Smith would probably be knocking down threes, right? He'd be – yeah. I wouldn't say he's Dirk, but he would be able to find a way to knock down threes today. So that would be my fourth pick. After their failure at the small forward position in the 87 draft with Dennis Hobson, the New Jersey Nets select Dan Marley. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Dan Marley's my number four pick to New Jersey. Really? Yeah. Moved him, moved him way up, Marley. Hey, three-time All-Star. He, let me uh, listen. Dan Marley was a, a Thunder Dan was a terrific player. Um, that documentary with Last Dance is not giving him his full due. He was, I mean, I know Krauss liked him, but I, I like Dan Marley as a player and love his restaurants in Scottsdale. Hey, he was there. He was there for Krauss. He didn't take him. It's true. He was there for him. <laughs> he loved him so much, yet he didn't take him. All right. So you took Dan Marley. All right. Yeah. So, so, so. Let me go through my list. I got Mitch Richmond, Rod Strickland, Danny Manning, three, Rick Smith, and then Hersey Hawkins is number five for me going to Golden State. How do you not like Hersey Hawkins? Gave you 13 years, solid offense, uh, 15 points a game. I like Hersey Hawkins at five. So that would have been run THC instead of TMC. Yes. Okay. (laughs) At number five, I'm going to take he of the four block shots in the game five at the Madison Square Garden. Bulls win in 90, what, three? Uh, let's see. Charles Smith. Yes, I was double. I was I was going to change for a second, but I'm going to stick with Charles Smith. Man, come five. on. Charles Smith goes to Golden State. What? All right, besides that. Forte. 
14.8 points a game for his career. He wasn't a scrub, man. He was not a scrub, especially early in his career. Gave you 15 and 8 almost. That's solid numbers. Solid numbers. Man, that's up at five, though. That's yeah, I'm going to give him five. Okay. As we redraft the 1988 draft right here on ESPN 1000, Sean and I do this every Tuesday. We're, this is the Will Purdue draft that we're going through. So at six, it's the Clippers. I took Dan Marley there. Okay, at six, I took Hersey Hawkins. All right, cool. That's what Hersey Hawkins goes for me. What is your seventh pick? My seventh pick. He that does not pass out of the post Ronnie Cycli. <laughs> yes. Wait a minute. Ronnie Cycli. <laughs> okay. Ronnie Cycli, another guy. He'll get you 14. He wouldn't get you more than four or five rebounds at seven feet, which was a disaster, but he definitely would get you 14 to 16 points a game. He's always around the rim. Yeah. Ronnie Cycli. Is he a DJ now in Miami? I think he that did spin at a club. I think so. For like um, three or four years. How about this? This will blow your mind, right? Seven to Phoenix, right? So you took uh, Ronnie Cycli. Yes. Seven to Phoenix. Mad Max. Vernon Maxwell. Oh. <laughs> you snuck him up? Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, now, he was a second-round pick, right, yeah. <laughs> to, to Denver at 47. 13 years, 13 points a game. Now, if you could take the temperament, if you could take the attitude, now there is a documentary that needs to be made. Mad Max. Mad Max went into the to the stands to fight of somebody, did he not? Didn't Maxwell do that with Houston? I believe he did. I believe he did. <laughs> I believe that was the case. So I took I went, went way back down from the second round and picked it, gave you Vernon Maxwell. You do remember how good a player he was, didn't you? He was very a short time in Houston. Short. T- Vernon Maxwell seven. <laughs> All right, eight. Eight, you know what? I'm going to take another guy from the second round, move him all the way up. I'm going to put Anthony Mason right there. <laughs> Maceo enters the draft at number eight for me. Moment of silence for Anthony Mason. Charlotte, yeah, he's going where he ended up, Charlotte Hornets. Moment of silence for Mason. Absolutely. Thank you. So eight to Charlotte. You know what? You know what, Joe? I'm, I'm looking at my – I got Rex Chapman. That's where he went. Rex Chapman, yeah. yeah. Right. People sleep on Rex Chapman. This is not the, the Rex Chapman who's great on Twitter, Rex Chapman. He actually could play. I he mean, absolutely that, could play. <laughs> people forget. Like, Rex gave you 15 points a game. What is it? Uh, ba, 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 35% from three? 35% from three, 80% free throw shooter. Rex Chapman I have here on my list at eight. Sean, what is your ninth pick? My Nine ninth to pick. Miami. Salute to the DePaul Blue Demon. Ross Strickland enters the top ten for me. He goes number eight. All right. Yes. Nine. No. We're on nine, right? He goes yep. number nine. I'm sorry. Yeah, number nine. Nine to Miami. Uh, for nine in Rod Strickland. They're going to Miami. I don't know. Would that work? <laughs> Rod, Rod, Rod uh, being in Chicago, now going to Miami. Um. Nine, I did. I dug deep, deep into the draft. Went out of the first round. No, digging deep, deep. Went to the fiftieth pick in the second round and pulled Friend Steve Kerr. Oh. <laughs> Steve, you Homer. Steve, oh, Steve. You know, I thought you were going with Coach. I thought you were about to go with Coach. Vinny? No, yeah, I thought you were about not, to go with Vinny. Nah, no. Nah. 
even Vinny knows he doesn't belong in this list. Um, <laughs> Steve Kerr, yes or no, top 10 player in this draft if you re- to redraft. No. I have him at nine. No. Steve Kerr? No. Three-point artist no. Steve Kerr? No. Come on, bro. Sorry. No. Come on, bro. No. Steve Kerr? No. 15 years in the league? No. 45% from three? No way. You see what his, you know what his career has been, though, right? I mean, look at the amount of threes. He he is an all-time three-point shooter. Yeah, he is. Steve, yeah, yeah. You get him in the second round. Nah, well, back then that's where you got him. Right now, in the second round. Now, now, right now. What else does he do? You're talking like he's Steph. Well, for his time. <laughs> 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 no way! I'll, he can do one thing well. He can he can hit the three and hits Michael in the chest. He get he can punch Michael. It can take a good punch back. It took yeah. So I want that toughness on my team. <laughs> number ten. This is where Rex Chapman comes in for me. He goes uh, number ten. I I took uh, Anthony Mason at ten to go to San Antonio. And eleven for you. What's your eleventh pick, Sean? Hey, Vern Maxwell backs up Michael Jordan. At the two. Wow. Yes. That won't work. <laughs> There'll be fights all the time. Absolutely. So, yeah, Practice would be the best. How about this, Mike? Call, call out Vernon Maxwell like you called out Scott Burrell. See how that works. I want Max. Oh, for real? Okay. The Santa Claus saying on the free throw line? Yeah. See yeah. what happens. Yeah. See what happens. <laughs> call out <laughs> Maxwell like that. And 11, uh, I took Ronnie Cycli. Or or B Shaw, wasn't sure. I was I still trying to figure out what I want there. What about Brian Shaw? B Shaw definitely had more championships. Yes, but as a player, but as a player, yeah. So you didn't get. So there's no Will Purdue on your list. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Friend of the program, Will Purdue. Um, there's no Kevin Edwards on your list from DePaul. No, I would show some love. He would be lottery for me though. Uh, no, no. Can I tell you something? Harvey Grant, not bad. No, he wasn't bad. With the bullets, not that bad. He wasn't bad at all. He um, actually used to outplay Horace when they went head up at times. Yes, he he had a defensive edge. Yeah. No, uh, you know, see Mark Bryant on this list. This 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 was a fun draft for Sean and I because you can go deep and find some value. Like we mentioned, Vinny Del Negro's on this list. Grant Long gave you fifteen years. But Grant Long, man, you had characters in this draft too. Yeah, guys like Liddell Eccles. Liddell Eccles, oh, yes, right. Character. Especially you dug deep, the by the way, to get. And I want people to know, Sean dug deep to get Anthony Mason, who was a third round draft pick and had, but gave you thirteen years. Yeah. Uh, but it, for this this draft has got it's so many interesting names on this list. Well, Vinny would sneak into the lottery though if we went four more picks. Uh, yeah, was he a better player? Well, was he a better player than Willie Anderson or Tim Perry? No, Willie Anderson was very solid for San Antonio. Right. Yeah. Tim Perry was not on the list either, mm, and no. neither was Chris Morris. Chris Morris, who was in that last series, Utah versus the Bulls in '97. I mean '98. This he is some, the Jazz. Some interesting names in this list. Now, now we bring in the referee. We bring in Andre Snellings, the ESPN senior writer who's been laughing at us, uh, who takes care of NBA <laughs> analytics as, as he as we redraft the 1988 draft. All right, Dre, you heard us go through this interesting uh, draft. What do you think of the 88 draft? The 88 draft was, you know, 
like y'all said, Mitch Richmond was the only Hall of Famer. And then you had about 15 or 20, like, good, solid NBA careers in there. So I could really see how you guys would have it in so many different orders. What I couldn't see is how John Starks didn't even make the top 10. Like, I mean, I, I would have had to have John Starks in there somewhere if it was me. You know, um, you were talking about somebody to back up MJ. Y'all took Mad Max. I mean, you, you, you just taking a gunner, you know. Uh, is Starks, like, still a dirty word in Chicago or something? No. Um, where is Starks on this? Is he second round? I saw him. I, I, I think s- he was undrafted. Yeah. I don't know. He, he oh, was, like, no. way down the list. Well, no. He can't. But I he mean, was bagging groceries, right? Well, I mean, he came into the league. His rookie season is 88-89. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So he, he he's a rookie in this draft class. He was up to be drafted. See, leave it up to the analytics guy. See, that's what I'm talking about. See, that's why. I'm, I'm just see. saying, you know, y'all took Anthony Mason, and I was feeling that, you know, that was like a, a Knicks state of mind. And, you know, another dude, Stark gave y'all 13 years, you know, 13 years, 15 a game, you know, had had some highlights. So, so I would have had him in there. I also got a couple other guys you didn't have that I have to shout out. Uh, the little general, Avery Johnson. Avery Johnson. Yes. You know, <laughs> he, um, he he was a coach on the floor. That man averaged dang near a double-double for about five years there in the middle of his career. Um, my coworker, Legs, Tim Legler, I don't think I'd have drafted him in the top ten. But, you know, he was a shooter, and that's my man. He been on, I've been on the show with him a couple times. You know, he's a cool dude. Yes. Um, but, um, yeah. You know, the the person on this list that kind of resonates the most with me was Hersey Hawkins, just because I don't know I don't know how old y'all are. I don't know if y'all remember, but Lakers versus Celtics came out as a video game in like 1990 or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And Hersey Hawkins could not miss. He was that you know, there's this that dude in certain video games that's better in the game than they are in real life. I had Hurst Hawkins on every build a team I ever had because that man could shoot threes all day on that game. So, so that, that got him like an extra spot or two on my draft board. Well, Davis and I are agents, so we remember that very well. Going to uh, <laughs> we, we remember that very well. I'm looking at this. Is there anything, any player that would work today from a number standpoint? So I said Steve Kerr would be in the top 11. Do you agree with that or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they're playing today, then, yeah, the, the shooters are all moving up. You know, Steve Steve Kerr is moving up. Um, Legler, is, is, he, he gets some consideration because they'd be used differently. You know, they were just used as pure role players back in the day, but nobody was shooting threes at this kind of volume that, that, that teams shoot today. These days, they, they, they would have been borderline starters, guys that could knock down 40% of their threes on, on you know, nice volume. Yeah, they, they'd have a much better NBA career. Yeah, my concern with Steve would be his ability to create his own shot. Like, I understand yeah. Steph. I understand Trey Young. Steve. But see, uh, but see, Steve was one of those dudes, though. When you look back at the, the, the 90s, like, every championship team had, like, a certain group of dudes on it. It was, like, Steve Kerr, Robert Ory, Ron Harper. You know what I'm saying? Guys that were just good players. And so... Kerr, he would have needed to end up on a team with, like, LeBron. You know, a team where he's not really the point guard, but he can be out there and knock down shots all day long. And and I, I could see after, it, honestly, in the post-Jordan era, wings started doing more of that. Started being the guys that had the ball in their hands. And, and you have guys like Steph Curry. His career is a lot better now than it would have been 
because he doesn't have to be a pure point guard. On his team, it was Draymond that was handling the point guard, you know, a role a lot of times. But those, those shooters from the 90s, yeah, they, they would have made a lot more money in the 2010s. Andre Snellings is with us here, this ESPN senior writer, uh, NBA analytics, with us here on Under the Hood as we take a look and redraft the 88 draft. Um, so, um, Sean, you, where did you have Smiths again? You had Smiths three? Yeah, I had Red Smiths going three. Okay, and I had him four. And, Dre, I just think for a guy that was always around the rim, he always had the garbage baskets, and he you know, he helped out Reggie Miller and those teams a lot. But, like, the new age Rick Smiths would have to be able to develop a, a three ball He'd, ha- he'd have to. And I think that would make him an all-around player for someone that was 6'11", 7 foot. Yeah, if, if he could knock down the three, he'd be Brooke, Brooke Lopez in today's game. Wow. Um, you know, a, a guy that, that he, you, you have to have somebody out there that can help him on the glass and, you know, be quicker foot for it to be the rim protector. But if he could knock down the three, he could also stand around the paint and block a couple shots, and, and, and he would have a solid career. Um, I don't know. So y'all had him three and four. I didn't know what to do with Danny Manning because he was such a horse coming out of college, but it seemed like he tore up his knee every other year. And so, you know, but he did have, when you pointed out, his first seven seasons, he averaged 19 and six, 52% from the field. So I still had him above Smith, even though Smith had the much longer, steadier uh, career as a contributor. I feel like we've overrated Ronnie Cycli. I think I think De- Davis, you definitely have. <laughs> I had him at seven. I, yeah, yeah. I think I had him at the bottom of my top ten. He was at seven. Yeah, I think you yeah. pushed him too much. I had Cycli. You know, his name was on on the list, but I didn't have him. He didn't quite make my top ten. But like I said, you know, I had Starks move ahead of him, um, and pretty much everybody else that you picked, I had as well. Um, maybe just ahead of Ronnie Cycli. Just he was a man in college, though. Yeah, I man, don't just a tad disrespectful to Ronnie Cycli. <laughs> just a tad. Come on, man. Come on, Ronnie. Now. Nah, man. Come on now. <laughs> just a tad <laughs> disrespectful. I know he was a black hole. I know he, he was. was a black hole. He really was. <laughs> yeah, he really was. I mean, think about that. That Miami Heat team happens, and you see this guy, you know, lumbering up and down the floor. I'm like, this team's not going to win anything under Ron Rothstein. They're going to. Cycling's going to get Rothstein fired. This is not going to work, you know. Like, uh, so so here's what's disrespectful. It's disrespectful for Davis to reach out to you for some advice. I mean, I didn't. I, that secret call that you two had. I don't like that. It wasn't a call. <laughs> man. It was just a text. I don't appreciate that, man. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, I mean, I mean you got my number too. I, I understand that, but he shouldn't be calling you saying, "Hey, where does Tom Tolbert fit in all this?" I don't, I don't think that, <laughs> that ain't right. Tom Tolbert would have been the sneak pick that'd put you over the top. <laughs> so that's not right. Well, thank you for being our, our referee here, Andre. Because um, this I appreciate is appreciate y'all having me. Uh, we're gonna figure out this. Uh, ooh, you ready for this, Davis? We have to figure this Stacy King draft out. Let's from, do it from '89. Oh, we should have Stacy on for that. Mm-hmm. Well, he'd be mad. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put it if you upset <laughs> the Stacy King draft. That, that's the Purvis Ellison draft, Andre. So that's that'll be interesting. That's the Tim, Tim Hardaway draft. The uh, Pooh Richardson draft. Yeah, I, I'll have fun with that one. Um, I went and saw Purvis Ellison his freshman year in college. Uh, he played against Ron Harper in, in Miami of Ohio. And uh, Harper's from my hometown. You know, he went to school. My mom taught it. So we went and watched that game. 
and I was little enough that in Purvis Ellison's legs go through the roof. And I just started calling him Legist, and my, my my parents teased me about that for years. So, you know, never nervous, purpose. That's that's the draft we're gonna talk about. That. So the Stacy King draft is coming uh, next Tuesday. Thank you, Andre, for being with us, and thanks for being our referee in all this. All right, catch you next week. All right, this uh, Andre Snelling's with us here. Uh, we're gonna hear from someone that was around the Bulls during those that heyday. Someone who really loves this Bulls team, uh, Steve Cashel. You've heard him on ESPN 1000 over the years when we were carrying Bulls games as a pre and post game host. Terrific guy. We'll get his memories of the Bulls, his thoughts on the Last Dance, and don't forget Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you're a wrestling fan, we got you coming up at 9:30. All part of the mix right here on UTH. <laughs> This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.